Sanchez It is Podcast 99. I'm Ryan Lichten. I'm here with Parks Miller. And today, I'm here. yes, he is here against all odds. Uh, it's kind of funny that we've always recorded this show on different sides of the country because mm-hmm. now we wouldn't be able to be in the same room anyways. So the world caught up to us <laughs> in our way of doing things. That's truly. Yeah. 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 Well, so things, things, nothing's really changed over here at the culture dumps. Uh, it's lonely <laughs> at the top. You know? Yeah. Except again, I, I, I'm not shaving my face until I can sit at a bar again. Mm. Um, but you know, that, that, that doesn't, that's not seeming to, uh, really affect anything as I can't really grow facial hair. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm learning. So well, you look great. And you, Ryan has a great puppy shirt on too. So yes. Oh, I, this is actually uh well, I'm not going to go and describe something visual on, on the, <laughs> on an audio only <laughs> show, but yes, it's a, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a great puppy shirt. Okay. Ryan's not shaving. He's got a great shirt where everyone's tired of this virus. Yeah. Let's talk about Woodstock. <laughs> yeah. Great. This is a great start. This is what you came here for. It's Woodstock. It's, it's the great start to a, uh, an important episode on the show because this is the last band that we are covering. We have now watched every single set from every single band that is played on on the east and west stage at Woodstock 99. We've been pushing this one out. Yes. Making it, forming it, and finally we see the, the little tip. Yeah, yeah. We see the light at the, the end, end of the tunnel. The light is there, but it's fire. And it's not mm-hmm. yeah, it's not uh it's not heavenly lights. But it's also our last Legends episode. Well, actually, I think the next le- episode will count uh, kind of as a legend, but this is the last music legend episode. Band. Last legend band. Yes, this is yeah. the last uh, music episode that we're going to be doing, and it is the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So, mm-hmm. yes, a, a festival staple pretty much since their formation and also yeah the headlining act of Woodstock 99 we now are at the point where everything's broken down all the people that are gonna sneak into the festival during the last you know three four days have already snuck in it's it's the last push there is some music happening on the west stage but it's about to end Megadeth is is closing out their set as Red Hot Chili Peppers begins theirs there is still supposed to be a rave after Red Hot Chili Peppers plays, as there has been each night, but we'll get to that. <clears throat> and we, uh, as we s- talked about during Megadeth, we are starting to see some fires being built, and, and the fires are starting to creep in, and just the the terror of the entire situation is starting to starting to show itself. So we're just going to jump in to the Red Hot Chili Peppers at Woodstock 99. This is on the East Stage. It's at 8.40-ish at, at night, 8.40 in the evening. They're slotted to play until about 10.10. And then, of course, the rave would be after that. Now, also, Red Hot Chili Peppers were 
the last band to play, but after them on the East stage, there was supposed to be a Jimi Hendrix tribute that was always billed on the bill as a special guest. Oh, you know, plus special guest, you know, it'd even be on the schedule for the day. And what a lot of people thought was that it was going to be, you know, Pearl jam, or it was going to be, you know, smashing pumpkins or guns and roses or any of these bands that were approached to play and turned it down. They thought that, you know, the, the audience was expecting another huge band and they didn't even right. get uh, the, the Jimi Hendrix thing. But we'll, again, we'll explain why. Prob- yeah, we never know, but it it really, really was probably not one of these big bands. You know what I mean? No, like, no, it was always the Jimi no Hendrix way. tribute, it, but which which right. didn't include like a band really it was like more of a laser light show and and video to close out the whole thing but i uh, wish it could have happened because it would have probably been hilarious yes and bad yes well Um, what happened instead was bad and uh to some hilarious so we're gonna go all the way back to 1983 in los angeles okay this is anthony kiedis and flea uh whose real name is michael peter balzari actually so for for those who who never knew flea was not born flea he was born a michael but anyways anthony kiedis flea uh hillel slovak and jack irons uh they were all attending fairfax high school in los angeles when they met so this is you know, the Red Hot Chili Peppers are one of the biggest bands of all time and still a hugely prominent band. They could, they headline festivals all the time to this day and will continue yeah. and do giant world tours and everything. So they've had a really huge, extensive history. We're going to give you a really, really ab- abridged version of it. Uh, we're going to have to cut out a lot of a lot of stuff just to kind of get us back into 99 because there is so much to say about Red Hot Chili Peppers. And uh, uh, actually, if you, if you need to hear more about them or if you want to hear more, well, <laughs> I, was, I was looking around and I found this. I found another podcast strictly for Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, I, f- I forgot what. Yeah. The, what, 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 what? Uh, it's called Universally Speaking, which is like I re- I didn't know what that. But that in itself is like a pretty obscure song of theirs, I guess. And um, it's like two mega. I, I don't think you listen to it. I ended up like I think I like downloaded an episode, and then when I like opened my phone one time, it just started playing. And it's like these two like British blokes, and they just like oh, they're British love yeah, and they love the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So it's literally just like it's like two blokes like having a pint <laughs> and talking about the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So well, it's this funny. Band's huge. If you need to, if you somehow can't find out about the red hot chili peppers i don't know what you're doing like you can there's many resources yes. anthony kiedis has written a book flea just wrote a book they have they want to tell you their story yeah they had a behind the music before like their biggest album was even written i think i mean they're, they're just yeah. they're so big but that that, right. that podcast the universally speaking when i just i didn't like look it up with the intention of listening to a Red Hot Chili Peppers podcast, I just wanted to see if there, how many there were, because I figured there'd be more than one. But that was the one I found, and the description just says two brothers drinking beer and talking Red Hot Chili Peppers, and I was like, boom, that's good enough <laughs> yeah. for me. Like that's all, like that's <laughs> all I needed to know about it to mention it on the show. So yeah, you you could check that out. 
Thank you. Free uh, shout out. So this is the uh, the quick the the cliff notes of Red Hot Chili Peppers. So they've gone through several different lineup changes. That's kind of a notorious thing about them throughout the years. It's mostly always been due to their respective drug use. Uh, one of the most notable lineup changes was the addition of Dwayne Blackbird McKnight on guitar. He was one of the guitarists of Parliament Funkadelic. That connection was made because I believe it was their second album was produced by George Clinton, also of Parliament Funkadelic, also a Woodstock '99 alumni. Yeah, a little Woodstock connect. Yep. Yes, mm-hmm. but uh, Blackbird was later fired uh, just be- because there was a lack of chemistry there, and afterwards he threatened to burn down Anthony Kiedis's house, which is great. Uh, just I just love you know overreactions and also just I'm going to burn down your house is (laughs) so much gnarlier than like I'm going to kill you or something because it's like okay like yes that's scary but burn down Mm -hmm. my house like all my shit like you're like all my shit's gone like you know but uh so yes oh yeah here it is so their their second album which was called Freaky Styly their first album was just self-titled that came out in 1985 and yes it was produced by George Clinton now John Frusciante and Chad Smith they both joined the band in 1988 and Chad stayed with the band basically the entire time after that uh, up to this day whereas Frusciante has left and and come back intermittently uh, he just recently rejoined with, with the band and virtually anytime anyone's dropped out of Red Hot Chili Peppers or been fired, uh, with the exception of, of of Blackbird, it's always been due to drug use in some capacity, whether it's alcohol, whether it's heroin, whether it's a relapse, whether it's not showing up to practice, fucking up a show. Uh, it's always been a- along those those lines uh, consistently throughout their entire career. It's a it's a huge theme of a lot of their songs, a lot of their later stuff too. After after they've sobered up, so in 1992, the band left for tour supporting their huge successful album Blood Sugar Sex Magic and that tour uh, was supported by Nirvana Pearl Jam and Smashing Pumpkins which you know were the three most influential bands of the first half of the 90s which you know we where we saw the rise of grunge and then of course post grunge and all that stuff would come after leading us to 99 so Red Hot Chili Peppers have always been kind of mm-hmm. at the forefront of mainstream alternative culture and that's something really important to remember because you know they're headlining what's supposed to be the biggest concert of the decade, you know, closing one chapter, starting the next red hot chili peppers is supposed to cap it off. And they kind of, you know, even though, yes, we're going to have, you know, I'm sure some bullshit to say about them. Like we do with every band, even ones that we like, we, we talk (laughs) shit on, but, uh, it's, it's important to, to just note that they are the perfect fit for, for that. Right. I mean, because they because that album, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, and then the album they just released in '99, Californication. I mean, they essentially bookended the '90s with like two of the like their biggest, biggest albums. albums. Yeah. yeah, they didn't. They only released one other album in the '90s. They actually didn't do a lot really in the middle of the '90s because they were going through lots of personnel changes. But the start and the end of the '90s was like very much they were in the spotlight. Yeah, definitely. And so that during that tour for Blood Sugar Sex Magic, that's the tour that John Frusciante left the band literally hours before a show in Japan. So they temporarily hired the guitarist Eric Marshall and then Jesse Tobias to replace him before eventually hiring Jane's Addiction guitarist Dave Navarro. And Dave Navarro, they had tried to get you know in the band before, but it, it didn't work out most likely due to drug use and you know also touring scheduling and things like that 
But, uh, you know, the band, yeah, they're, they're a staple of American music festivals as well as festivals all around the world, and they have been forever. Most notably, though, and relatable to this show, they performed at Woodstock 94 with Dave Navarro, and that is considered one of their most legendary sets because they performed in these big silver jumpsuits with giant light bulb heads uh, on top of them that, that lit up. Right. And Chili Peppers, and have a, they have a history of doing right. interesting things. Like, they started, you know, off early in their career doing what they called soccer man where they would perform butt naked on stage with just a long tube sock hanging off of the front of them and that became a thing they uh, eventually stopped though because people started expecting it and that became the picture that would be on all their flyers and everything and anthony Mm -hmm. kita said yeah we we just didn't want to be known as the band that was going to come out in socks every time like can you imagine them doing that now like, like, <laughs> well, we'll find out something about that, at least in 99. That, but apparently, I heard that apparently Dave Navarro was not happy with the costume decision at Woodstock. Yeah, he's and too I cool think, for that. Because he probably, he wanted it in the middle. He seems to always want to be performing with his shirt off. So he doesn't want to get naked, but you got to see Dave's tats. Yeah. You know? Oh, it's all like, about It's probably at this point uh, just a contract, in his contract, like if you if I'm going to be in the band, like my shirt will be off. Yes, and there's there's no negotiating that, but yeah. he hadn't he hadn't put that fine print in his contract. He has like negative yet. shirts on his writer. It says like negative three mm-hmm. shirts, so they know a like void yeah. of shirts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> there, there will not even be a hanger. But you know, there and I know the possibility. Navarro, uh, I mean, not well, but you know, in passing, I've met him a couple times. And I mean, nicest guy ever. But yeah, loves his tats. He had his own uh, tattoo contest show on TV. I, I forgot what it's called. It's called like Ink Ink Masters. I, I think is what it's called. He also famously was uh, married to Carmen Electra for a moment, and they had their own show on MTV called Till Death Do Us Part, where it's just about their journey to. To, to the altar but back to the band so in 1998 Dave Navarro split from Red Hot Chili Peppers due to his drug use and creative differences there's a story where he showed up uh, after after claiming that he wasn't doing drugs to a practice and he was so fucked up that he fell over his amp he, he couldn't remember the songs and uh, according to Anthony Kiedis just songwriting with Navarro was a lot longer of a process than it was with Frashante I mean that's not any diss at Navarro's talent or anything it's just that you know when you start a band with someone and and you release a bunch of music it's hard to have someone completely new come in because now that person's trying to emulate what your sound is but they're you know they didn't have it in their right. heart the whole time you know yeah so, Dave Navarro's like a metal guitar player and John Frusciante is more of like a blues funk guy yeah I, I guess Chili like Peppers the, the Navarro, you associate with like the funk guitar yeah Navarro said something so. along the lines of back then like he like he admitted like I don't really even like funk music and I don't like jamming yeah. like this yeah so uh, around that time though John Frusciante was rehired back in the band after Flea had convinced him to seek treatment for his drug addiction and his body was so ravaged by drugs he had permanent scars on his arms he had a reconstructed nose and he had several oral surgeries due to infections so he was ready to clean up his act and get back in the band uh, yeah. apparently after he completed rehab when when they asked him would you like to join the band again he broke into tears and said nothing in the world would make him happier then they this is a great rock and roll story because then they get together they write and record californication their biggest album to date it's classic even though I'm not a Chili Peppers fan, there are songs on that particular album that I like quite a bit. And that was released in June of 99. So one month before Woodstock right. happened. Right. This is it's pretty big for them. It's, yeah, I mean... It's primed. It's everyone proper. Loves, everyone loves a good redemption story. And I feel like in terms of like at least like modern 
rock and roll, contemporary rock, whatever. Like the Frushantes, like They're, they have like a Stones kind of a thing, you know, or like yeah, an Aerosmith. Right? They really yeah. kind of, yeah, because they've they've been around for so long, and yeah, I mean, Frusciante. If you read about like his addiction, it it seems really really bad, and he was just right. completely like sort of on the brink of like death. Well, and Navarro really. too, and Ketis. So, I mean, all of them. Like, yeah, they were all yeah, yeah. They, they all had really really bad problems. I mean, we're talking heroin and stuff here. It's not like me and my my marijuana problem. Uh, <laughs> you know, so the band though that they are considered a major influence on American music as well as a cited influence of some of the world's most popular bands. Uh, they had an undeniable influence on new metal and rap rock acts. And Anthony Kiedis was even quoted saying, "You can definitely make a case for us being a big part of what became new metal or rap metal." When I meet those bands today that are along the rap metal vein, new metal or whatever you want to call it, they often say that they enjoyed us when they were beginning. And yeah, because they're mm-hmm. you know Chili Peppers. When they started, they were kind of in like the punk scene, you know, so their stuff was considered a little harder and, and, and they had, you know, nowadays not so much, but back in the day, they had a lot of dirty lyrics, Every, like there was a lot of sexual stuff going on there and of course all the drug use, so they were... You know, a little. Uh, you can say uh, some juvenile lyric and he's material. Rapping. You know, Anthony Kiedis. Yeah, you know, he's doing like a, yeah, like a funk, funky white boy rap thing. Yeah, yeah. The, and I think I think we talked about. Uh, with maybe Cornell and Biscuit, that the you know the Faith No More song, Epic, which right. is kind of was seen as like one of like sort of like a proto new metal song, and at the time, people thought that that was a Red Hot Chili Peppers song, or people were confused that and they thought that Faith No More was like a Chili Peppers ripoff band. Yeah, and I so, mean, I can totally like hearing that song in my head, and I'm like. Bleh. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, that it's, it's yeah, in the, but, and there's a lot yeah. of bands though that were doing that. And I mean, once, uh, you know, bands like faith, no more and red hot chili peppers got signed, you started and got their mainstream exposure. You started seeing a lot of knockoff, like funk rock bands coming. And that is some of the darkest depths of American music right there. Like yes. a band, for instance, limbo maniacs comes to mind. Uh, it, don't yeah, know that it's <laughs> oh, boy, but yeah, so you, you really could make an argument argument that Red Hot Chili Peppers is one of the elements responsible for the new metal style. Uh, right. Yeah. And, an, and another uh, indicator of how influential they are is that they had an entire song uh, style of they had an entire Weird Al song, you know, Weird Al dedicated entire his um, the bedrock anthem. Oh, right. Um, which I mean, really, that is like a uh, like a some sort of test to see like how big you are because like if weird al makes a song about you i'm a huge weird al fan oh yeah same if he does a song of you whereas for instance like the new metal he made like a i think it was like the he did a polka like medley of new metal where he made fun he did like like 10 new metal artists all like like mixed in one but with the chili peppers he actually it's just one of my favorite Right. Weird Al songs. Yeah, but yeah, but do, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Weird, Weird Al's great, and yeah, I mean, there's, I'm, there's other bands that played at Woodstock '99 that he did parodies of. I mean, he must have because they're the biggest bands. Right, ever. but I'm not, but I'm not. Th- I can't think of too many off the top of my head. Though, I, I know. I'm, that. I'm too much in Chili Peppers mode. So, uh, Flea though, their bassist, who you know is considered one of the you know, top bassist in the world. He he's, has a very unique style. I mean, he he's 
you know, been slapping that thing for so many years. Like, there's stories back in the day where his fingers would be so worn down that he would just fill up the cuts and, and the, the indents with, with super glue, you know, and just like just to keep going because he was playing so ferociously and there'd be, you know, blood on, on the pit guard and everything just smacking that goddamn bass. But he also does a lot of interesting bass solos and, and things. He's even sung on a couple songs. Uh, he had a song that I pretty much, I think he sings lead on called P, uh, <laughs> like, like a P, oh, not flea. like P. But yeah, Flea, P, you know. But uh, another cool thing about Flea, because Flea is also just considered to be one of the coolest uh, people in rock music ever. He's had a very notable career in film and TV, uh, lending his voice and his acting skills to such projects as The Wild Thornberries, Son-in-Law, Thrashin', Back to the Future 2 and 3, The Outsiders, Suburbia, My Own Private Idaho, Less Than Zero, Toy Story 4, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Baby Driver, Queen and Slim, and dozens more. He's had a very extensive career in film and doing voice acting. And, um, I mean, if yeah. you know... The show The Wild Thornberries for for those 90s Nickelodeon kids, then you would remember the character Donnie, the wild boy, uh, who talked like, like that. That was how he talked. That was (laughs) that was Flea. And if you listen to the way he does Donnie's voice and you listen to the way he plays bass, it's very similar. But that that is he kind of does some like little Donnie Thornberry moments during the set, too. That's true. Yeah, it came from somewhere. He, he, he was harboring yeah. this wild boy inside, and finally he mm-hmm. got the opportunity to release him in the wild thornberries. I would say I would say Flea is the one that where, because this band, as popular as they are, they also get shit on a lot, and we'll probably do a little back and forth of both of that. And for people that like absolutely hate the Chili Peppers, it seems like they will. there are constant exceptions made for, but Flea's the cool one. It's yeah, like Flea's exactly. like, I saw like a Patti Smith documentary and like Flea's in it. So like, I know there can't be a huge crossover of like Patti Smith diehards uh, and Chili Pepper diehards, I mean, but, he, then, yeah, he's but then in Flea's like, there and then like, yeah, and I, he was like a, you know, like a good friend of Kurt Cobain's and just stuff where like, if you were into maybe more serious music, like Flea could kind of bridge that gap, I guess, right. between the complete prick the uh, prankster and it's because all those like early movies vibe, when he know? was a, when he was a teenager those early movies that he's in are all considered like really cool movies like suburbia and like mm-hmm. less than zero i'm i'm pretty sure he's also in one of the decline of western civilizations maybe the third right, one well because he was in uh fear he was in fear oh okay like the la punk band for like really like i don't even think he ever appeared on an album but he still kind of got his little like punk rock cred by being in like one of the like original like hardcore bands you know right so, oh, and, and then, of course, it's worth noting because I'm sure people will, you know, mention this to, to us. But, yes, the drummer resembles comedian Will Ferrell, and that's been a running joke on the Internet for years. Uh, eventually, I, mm-hmm. I believe it was on. Uh, I, I, I can't they remember. They did a drum off on some night. Yeah, night one show. late night show. I, they I can't addressed re- it. I, I want to say maybe it was it was the Jimmy Fallon one or I, I, it I, like I, I don't Jimmy know. Fallon we we, we could have looked that up, but yeah. we didn't. But yes, that exists. There is a drum off between mm-hmm. between the two of them. And yes, they do look very similar. So. Getting to the set now. Again, this is the final set. It, the, it, it's dark now. This is this is it. And a lot of people, from what we were hearing from survivors and stuff, you know, even if you weren't necessarily really into this band, you still went because it's the final band. Or you didn't right. do shit all day and you recovered from your insane Saturday all day, hoping to catch them later at night. Right. That that was kind mm-hmm. of the the deal, and you know that they, they have a very even keeled fan base. You know, it's there's definitely when you watch the set, you definitely get 
a lot of female participation and a lot of male participation, uh, you know, the like. And I just think that it's a testament to how, again, they, they've spanned this decade. They were one of the soundtrack bands of the 1990s. You know what I mean? Like when yeah. people think of the biggest bands of the 90s, Nirvana is obviously going to be at the top generally. But Red Hot Chili Peppers is right up there. Right. I actually just learned a little trivia that uh, I think Blood Sugar Sex Magic and Nevermind were released on the very same day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, so so right that, there with you know, them. And, and the ne- the album cover for Nevermind features a naked baby. And on the set, uh, you know, for, for Red Hot Ooh. Chili Peppers set, it features a naked flea. So the band walks yes. out on stage. The crowd is going crazy. You can see a lot of big beach balls being passed around, a lot of big balloons. I'm sure some were Nas balloons. Uh, you know, they, they got away <laughs> from, from whoever was uh, was hanging on to it. But. Flea walks out just completely butt naked by himself, right. plugs in and and starts, you know, well, he jumps around first. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He does like a big, it, like, I mean, you're hooray. seeing the whole thing like he's flapping dong like, oh, yeah, a lot. Yeah, he's putting and, dong um, in the air. It's great. It's great because uh, if you just even just look up the video, like look it on YouTube, like they cut it in a way that his dick is like literally the first thing you see when you click on the video. Yeah. And it's the so last thing you'll see YouTube before you close your that. eyes at night. It's not a terrible one though. It's not a terrible. I've uh, seen worse. Right. But our survivor, uh, Mike Schreiber, he was there and he, he took his own unique perspective a little lower from the, oh, yeah. from the ground, but he has some amazing pictures of, of Flea's dick. It's like, <laughs> cause he's, cause he's like, um, doing some sort of like head banging motion thing, but it, like, I mean, Flea is an incredibly like physical presence. Obviously he's naked. And so his, yeah, well, like the picture green, is like, like his hair. dicks kind of like midway, like between a fling, like going from, you know, from the ground. So you, you see like the, the arc yeah, in, the, in the Mike's arc. picture. It's great. It's a, <laughs> no, it, it's amazing. Yeah. And you know, it, it's very, that's some 69 vibe shit. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and like yeah. right when they walk out, there's still a little bit of light outside, but it's that perfect festival moment when it's finally getting dark. It's cool enough for you to like actually enjoy the weed or the drugs that you're smoking or the drinks that you're drinking. It's 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 just right for, for a good red hot chili peppers concert. Now, we've been talking about best and worst dressed this entire show, but best and worst dressed, you know, and, and when you're talking about Woodstock 99, it could go one of two ways as far as the judgment of, of scale goes. It's Is this the most Woodstock 99 outfit and that's why it's the best? Or is it mm-hmm. this person actually looks cool on stage? And what I've always used for my scale was does that outfit work today on stage right. at a concert for that act? Is it, is it cheesy or is it cool? And now from the start, I knew who my pick was for best dressed male and it is 100% John Frusciante of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. That dude looks right. rad on stage. That outfit would work today and still look really fucking rad. And it's just it's also a very 69 vibes outfit. He's got a baseball tee on, just a plain baseball tee. Red sleeves, I think it had, with bell-bottomy kind of billowy jeans that still fit him. Not like Jinkos, but like real, right. like fitted, nice, cool well, bell-bottoms. He's got like bottoms. two shirts. He's got like the baseball shirt that's white, and then he's got like a like a red 
like short sleeve t-shirt yeah that's over right it, over it right over it. That, that's like right yeah yeah down. no yeah, yeah. It's, that's what it is it's like a thermal like underneath mm-hmm. yeah with, with, with that and and then long fucking hair and he's just like a cool dude on stage he's not really going too crazy he's just like the soulful guitarist with mystique for sure definitely looks like jesus i would say and that definitely lends to like a 69 you know hippie because it's it's the shoulder length hair you know right um so, but you, yeah, you do love this outfit and you've mentioned it before. And, um, I mean, it's definitely cool because I guess it just fits right in the middle there. It's nothing too crazy. Yeah. Flea would be um, like the top contender. But, right. Right. And he's not um, wearing anything. Yeah. He, yeah. There's it's either not, for Shante or not nothing. Dressed. <laughs> yeah. That, that, um, but for Shante, does do this weird thing halfway through the set where he like, I, I don't know. It's like, it's like a kid where he just takes the front of the shirt and just loops that over. It's almost like a porn move. I've seen guys do that right. in pornos where they don't they, <laughs> okay. they don't want to get the bottom area of their shirt all mucky. So so they flip it back and they hold yeah like <laughs> like it's behind their head it's, but still on their body. So it's almost like a right. backpack now. But yeah, that's I like think the porno I think it's move. something a kid would do. You think it's something a porn star would do? You know? Yeah. Hey, um, but Easy. but then he continues to play like that. And so then it's like he at that point, I think at that point, I would say he's best dressed because then he literally only has sleeves on. Yeah. He's just, and that's cool. It's too. a shirtless sleeve look. And it seems like it would be really uncomfortable, but he does not seem at all bothered by it. Right. And then Anthony Kiedis, he's wearing, you know, black shorts with, with some boots and he's got a dress shirt on with a black tie. And, and you know, the dress shirt's a little bit baggier and that's kind of like a staple outfit. I've seen him wear like that's like a similar outfit to that and a bunch of live footage of them. But of, of yeah. course, you know, with Kiedis, that that shirt's coming off, baby. He's going to pop it off coming about halfway off, through. But didn't you? I thought in one of your notes you said that he like he looks like Avril Lavigne with like yeah, the tie. He does. <laughs> it, it is a very Avril look, ha- you know, like the punk having rock the corporate tie. tie. But, right, that was a big thing from like I guess then to like a few years whenever Avril came out. Yeah, um, he's also got really because I mean, in the start of the nineties, he had like really long, like his hair color is naturally like dark. And he had like long, straight, dark oh, hair. Yeah. But he's got like bleached, short, blonde hair, like which is essentially like the Eminem, like the slim, shady. Yeah. Hair. Well, he's got like um, uh, he, like the Aaron Carter like kind of thing, or like yeah, like he's the Goo like Goo Dolls. Malfoy. It's a very nineties kind of like man. Draco yeah. Malfoy a little bit with the school, <laughs> you know. Well, it's ma- um, it's blood sugar sex magic, you know. Ma- <laughs> oh, magic. No. He's a um, wizard. Unfortunately, he doesn't seem. Yeah, he's. He gets a lot of the flack. He's the he is the white boy rapper of the band. So like he is obviously like the easiest uh, target for haters. That's because true. If the goofy scat rapping happens, it's coming out of his mouth. Right. And uh, and he does do some scat rapping. Uh, a, f- a couple times during this set. Oh well, yeah, and I mean, all the, you know, th- that's just kind of the the lyrical style of, of of the band. The bass and the lyrics are are very intertwined with with Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's the the rhythm. They're all about the rhythm. It's uh, like Mickey Hart said on on his T shirt uh, that that he was wearing during his Woodstock '90s set. It's it's the rhythm, stupid. But right, and that's and a that, call, and that's that a also g- by gives the way. right, yes, and that gives them a '69 vibe because of just kind of having if you listen to interviews of them they 
they do in a weird way sort of embody certain hippie ideas I would say like, it's kind very, of like well they're a California band they're it's a like, southern California it's like frat band, boy man. hippie yeah yeah you wouldn't get it <laughs> only I guess so- I'm just not getting it right now. Only us SoCal um, boys would, I mean, girls would would get it. Oh, uh, but uh, yeah. So, but yes, Kitas does catch the the brunt of everything. But he's the front man, you know. So he's going to be in the most interviews. Also, he was like really the first one to get like completely sober, and have, you know that's like a big part of his book, scar tissue, and 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 all that. So and you know he's he's very like he's a very serious guy you know he said you know he they all have a humor you know sense of humor Red Hot Chili mm-hmm. Peppers involved, you know they've had silly videos and silly interviews and they did Sockman and the light bulbs and all that stuff but Anthony Kiedis towards ninety nine Californication and on he's a little bit more self serious so there's there's that aspect of him where you know you have Flea butt naked right next you know like the naked guy in the band but then you have this like very like self contained like self aware kind of like guru esque rock singer in the band yeah and that's then, what he wants you to think yeah that's what that, <laughs> but then anyway, Chad, well, well chad well, smith sorry. though too yeah, no no, chad, no just yeah, to yeah. cover the the whole outfit so so everyone's okay. aware yeah yes. he kind of has worn the same thing forever so he's just wearing a, a sleeveless like cut off deal with a backwards hat and shorts and he's got a yes. beer holder on his drums that is actually being utilized, which is great because he's drinking the whole time. At one point, he even smokes a cigarette while he's playing, which is fucking right. Which I mean, that's just that doesn't make any sense to me. It's just you're just doing that because it quote unquote looks cool. Yeah, because like it's it hard. just doesn't make sense to be doing that. I mean, I would say, and we've talked about the jock drummer before. I would say Chad Smith is kind of like the the tailgate like the drummer, epitome of like a jock drummer. He hits the drums really hard and you can tell. And it's kind of like that. There's just that sense of like he because I think he was like a metal drummer before. And so it's like they're doing like their funk rock, but it's like he's like hitting the drums like it's like a metal song, you know. And then with the backwards cap, that totally like it solidifies like like the jock. But then, you know, you know. With the, but with the beers and like also he's not like ripped, ripped, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like some of mm-hmm. these other guys. So he's got the beer and the smoke. So rather than being like the the jock drummer, it's almost more of like the like the sports fan drummer, like the right. Like, or he's like, like the, the coach. Gator. He like he used to. Yeah. 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 Like well, he's been around the block. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I remember my first tour. Yeah. Like he's, like, he's very roadie. Coach. He, he like yes. Chad Smith, yeah. It looks like he's testing the drums for the actual drummer who is not going <laughs> to show up ever. So he just carries on. No, the set. but it's Chad Smith, dude. It's no, Chad it's Smith. They, it's Chad the Gaylord they, Smith, dude. His oh, full name yes, is Chad Gaylord Smith, mm. which and that's uh, a great '90s uh, joke. That oh, in the a, '90s, oh, if I had a nickel for every time someone movie? called uh, me a Gaylord, Jesus. Meet the parents, right? Wasn't that like a huge plot point? Was that the guy's name was yeah, Gaylord, Gaylord Gaylord Fokker Fokker? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do want to say <laughs> about the music that uh, right at the very beginning. So we've been pretty harsh on like uh, flubs. I think Bush had a really bad one. Now, to be fair in this situation, what's happening is that these bands are not really getting like their ideal amount of time to set up and sound check. So when they first get on between just like the actual live sound and then also the broadcast, I mean, you're you're allowing for like quite a bit of mishaps to happen right in that first minute so sometimes like the levels just aren't right like maybe the vocals are too loud the guitar is too quiet stuff like that that being said when they come on i mean after flea like gets naked they play uh what is it? around the world uh which is like that was like the lead song off of californication huge song i'm sure most people know it 
And there's a moment in it. We won't play the clip, but there's a moment where the song breaks. It's like really loud and raucous. And then it breaks down to only the guitar, John Frusciante's guitar. And it's just him for like five seconds. But his guitar is like not plugged in or something. Right. And so there's literally yeah. silence. But that being said, for having it's such a major flub. But then his tech like runs over and fixes it. And then they like continue the song without a hitch. So right. just from like a nerdy like perspective of that it's like that they don't they completely pull that big flub off yeah well they've had they have a couple other flubs and then it seems like because right after that that song flea has like some weird banter that seems like it was kind of like flea say something uh like mm-hmm. just like the kind of body language yeah. on stage so flea comes out and he blurts out this weird rant And everyone in the crowd's like, and I love bottled water at fair prices, and I didn't get them. But <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, that's weird. And then also, you know, you, at this point in time, uh, you can see members of the Peace Patrol actually in the crowd now. They're not on the other, like, they're just hopping the fence and getting in the crowd. Like, this entire concert, we've been seeing people hop the fence on accident, like, towards the stage, but no one's trying to get into the crowd. <laughs> now mm-hmm. we're seeing the the guys, they're like, well, fuck it, this is the last band, I'm fucking out, this shit's unruly, and now they're in the crowd, in their Peace Patrol shirts, just, like, right. partying, but then you also still right. have the guys with the hoses and all that, and then like right around that time, then we're now a couple songs in the band gets confused by their own set list and right. they, they have to have like a small discussion on stage as to what, what they're actually going to play. And this is just like a minor thing, but just for posterity, we'll, we'll let you hear it. Okay. We have to call audible. What's it going to be? Clayton? We, we're mixing the match in here. What do you want to play? Just like that. then right after that if you watch the video and you might have even been able to hear it in in that clip towards the very end but you can audibly hear a woman scream for anthony because he was Hmm. you know he was the sex appeal of the band i mean i'm sure everyone in that band did pretty well uh as far as that goes but you know kiedis was was the front man and you know he had that he was gonna pop that shirt flea was butt naked but as we know from our survivor pony that he had potentially a date already lined up for himself that night because if you remember oh, Pony's right. story was that mm-hmm. a family member of hers was a cheerleader for the right. for a professional football team and he had sent a limo for her a limo that Pony was not allowed in unless she would change her outfit which being the punk rocker that she was refused and went to Woodstock 99 by herself sans limousine so yeah uh, that's but, weird Flea was already planning yeah. you know that which <laughs> maybe that's you why also I- hear um just the you hear like it sounds like the radio chatter from like someone working the festival. It like gets caught into the like the feed. So like while they're playing, you hear like people like talking about like just stuff. Oh, like right. I don't really can't I can't really tell what they're talking about, but they're obviously like people like working behind the scenes. So well, somehow like when, that gets like, like put in the feed. Some small shows, you know, when you plug your amp in and you start picking up the local radio station, like here, you know that, right. like in LA, you know that there's like a problem with like the amp or the venue or something. If when you're like getting all your gear warmed up and you can hear like the local, like, you know, Spanish radio stations playing underneath right, you right. Know, your shit, you're like, fuck, mm-hmm. like, how do you, but you can't get rid of it. Yeah. That's kind of what's happening. But this whole set, though, is the supreme 
69 vibes and it's a true Woodstock 99 moment in the spirit of actually Woodstock. When you see someone getting mm-hmm. crowd surfed during Red Hot Chili Peppers, then it feels like it's an important concert. You know, if you were just to watch that set, you could make the well except for towards the end, but you could make the argument that it was a good festival, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah, there it's a it's a really good pick to end a festival, a nineties yeah. music festival there. They are, they have by this point far like deserved like their headliner status, you know? And also in a 69 thing is like there, I mean, because they are a band that actually was very influenced by like sixties music, especially Jimi Hendrix. Right. And maybe because they were around for so much longer than some of the other bands, like they even, it's really weird, even though they are so 90s, it's still like maybe because they've added all these other 60s like and funk and like influences that it just I mean, it doesn't sound as dated as like, say, Creed or something, you know, right. which like those bands are like started in the 90s and are so, so, well, it's so because so they're 90s. their own thing because Red Hot Chili Peppers mm-hmm. kind of started their own their own style, their own trend. I mean, yeah, it came from all these different elements, but you know, bands copied them, you know, so they weren't, Mm -hmm. you know, they weren't part of this like wave of movements. They were, they were their own movement, you know, and that's how it was when they started. And also it it doesn't feel like they're the last band uh, of the festival. It feels like there should still be more after it. And I mean, there was supposed to be that, that Jimi Hendrix tribute, but I mean, like, it's like when you watch Corn and you can't believe that there's still another band that's going to play after Corn. With Red Hot right. Chili Peppers, you watch it and you can't believe that that's it. And I feel like that's maybe part of the reason why things ended up going the way they did is because, you know, after all the shit that everyone had to deal with, they, they finally get this great set. They're finally ready to, you know, get into the Woodstock moment and then it's over, you know? And yeah, so, maybe so. I mean, I feel like they do you know, all things considered. And especially when you look at the crowd, I, I feel like it is, it feels like a, a headline set to me personally. I, one thing I was going to say is the crowd is like, I mean, the crowd is crazy. Like there are like these pits, but it's not really like, they're not a metal band, you know, but there are these like, like it's like a party pit. Yeah. You know it's I mean? just jumping around. It's having a good, it's a Woodstock right. pit, you know? And right. And but the, people are like, the crowd's nuts. Like they're definitely feeding off of like the energy of the crowd. Right. I would say. Right. No, most definitely. And again, but you know, now you're not seeing any more trash flying around, you know, mm-hmm. and, and there's no trash on the stage. It's like, again, it's like a perfect set really because n- none of this shit that we were, you know, talking about with virtually every other band is happening. You know, it's clean stage. No one's throwing anything, but they weren't throwing the trash because they were making giant piles of it instead to light on fire. But we will yes. get to that. Um, another thing I noticed about their stage setup is they have like the most amount of water cups, I think, out of any band. Mm-hmm. They have like 40 fucking cups up there, dude. It's <laughs> yeah. it's it's, it's yeah. you know, again, it's nothing uh, important, really. But it's worth noting just because we've noted so much other shit that's not important. So right. Why right. not talk well, another, about how many <laughs> water cups they have? No, I noticed the water cups. I also the the other not important thing I noticed was that they have so like you traditionally like bands have the monitors and that like lets them hear themselves. And those are like at the front of the stage pointing towards them. But I noticed that they have monitors and they're at the base of the drum throne and they're actually pointing out towards the crowd, which if you've ever been in a band, you would, that seems weird and counterintuitive because 
whatever's coming through there, especially with the mic, it seems like that would cause a lot of feedback, but they have it for some reason. And right. I don't really know why. Yeah. yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe just to get completely surrounded by the jams, man. I have this note here. I'm not, I'm not really sure what I meant by it. I, I'm sure I had like a good explanation for it before, but it says flea is really working the dick angle. Oh, uh, I can explain that for you. Um, <laughs> flea, cause, <laughs> because flea, like he, I mean, there's something really funny about a naked guy. And True. like, usually when he's playing, the bass is covering his stuff but then he'll just like like in between songs he'll just kind of take the bass off and do this weird little jig and you're just watching <laughs> you're just watching his stuff just like bounce around you know yeah well so. and, you know and that to me is very very woodstock because we've been seeing so much female nudity you know throughout the entire festival mm-hmm. and uh, along with yeah. all the terrible things that have gone you know, along with that, but we really don't see naked dudes. And the only time you really see naked men in any Woodstock footage is when it's like on the grounds. Like there was tons of guys right. walking around like with their beers, butt naked, you know, and there the was the ICP clowns. There was the that ICP was the, clowns. There that was they, that moment of onstage nudity as well. Yes. Yeah. It's funny. Cause actually right when you said, that, I realized in my notes, I also, I said, uh, some of fleas, big dangle dances are oh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, big dangle dances is. is what, I think he. Is what I think we'll he must it. have done something around you know a third of the way in, done a, a little jig for everyone. Right. But yeah, yeah. There's and then so he has the to what you're saying. It's like the male nudity gives it an extra, like it takes it away from the spring break female nudity vibe and more like this is like more a like animal house. crazed, yeah, like nudist colony hippie vibe. Right. Which is definitely he gives you like he's like the fun guy at the nudist colony. Yeah, you know? he, he's serving deadhead realness, as, as yeah, they would say. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, but also there, there's tons of female participation. Lots of girls are holding up signs, you know, you know, for their favorite member. And, oh, look at me. And I want to sleep with you and all, all that shit. Um, but at one point during the set, they're playing and it's like kind of a interlude in between songs. And for Shante and Flea start kind of like dueling riffs. Like so they get really close to each other and it's like this noodling really kind of mm-hmm. cool, deep, almost sitarish jam between the two of them. And they're really into it, and they're kind of rhythmically swaying back and forth at each other. And it's really cool, but Flea is butt naked. So right. again, yeah. it just makes it funny because it's like they're really right. serious and it's really cool, but Flea's just like hanging dong. Right. It's Yeah, it's funny Like when they do a song like Give It Away and it's like this big party jam and Flea's naked, everything in your brain like it's everything's all good but then they do like a what's that ballad like scar tissue it's yeah, like a under ballad the it's a, yeah yeah and then flea's still naked when they're doing <laughs> it and so it's like it it seems really funny all of a sudden it's it's a beautiful thing uh there's yeah. also like a, a kind of cool little woodstock moment where where john uh, you know the guitarist starts playing a little bit of Tiny Dancer, and he started and he's singing it too, the Elton John song mm-hmm. Tiny Dancer, and the crowd's singing it, and then Flea starts singing it with them, and the band comes in and they play like the chorus for a second, and to me it's like the most Woodstock moment of their set, maybe one of the most Woodstock moments of the entire festival, and maybe it's because it's a cover of a song that was a little came out a little bit closer to the original Woodstock. I mean, obviously it came out after, but it's really? more in the pocket. But also it's just like, that's a timeless jam that everyone knows. Even if you don't know a Chili Pepper song, you probably know that one. And it's played kind of like sloppily. Like it's not like super tight yeah. or like it's kind I of don't on know. the cuff. I don't know. I, I honestly was really confused by this moment because 
the way that and maybe we should have a clip of it but like the way that frushante sings it it kind of sounds like it's a shit take like it's like yeah. he's <laughs> i don't know he's like singing it really all over the place and i i was like is this supposed to be like some weird like parody moment but i don't know it, it <laughs> no, really he's just really fucking cool i mean he's done like cool shit like he, he i mean frushante's done stuff with you know guys from the mars volta and vincent gallo and he's had his own you know solo projects and he's always been like an aside from the rest of the band as far as his his solo stuff goes and his mystique if you will but they also play yeah. a second of the class song London Calling, uh, but like just yeah. like a, a quick bit, and that's kind of just whatever. That that seems more of a shit take uh, to me. But yeah, that, it's just like right in the middle. They're like, let's do like two thirty second long covers right here. You know, right? It's, it's kind of weird. I don't know. A, 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 exactly. Um, they, they mentioned Bow Wow Wow twice. Uh, the the eighties band. They're definitely. If you listen to Bow Wow Wow, you can hear that they were like really influential to the Chili Peppers, and I just noticed that. That there's twice Didn't there's ba- at least two Bow-wow. songs that what, he what says song Bow-wow. did they do they did i they did like i want candy was their big one. Oh, that's right but actually i really like that band and uh they have like a lot of like slap bass and so well, you and wasn't their singer where, this like, is a culture dump by the way folks if you're still wondering what is a culture dump a culture dump would be this so that band yeah bow wow wow that had a huge they're considered a one-hit wonder but yeah there's obviously people that went deeper into their their repertoire and there is some really good Mm -hmm. stuff there but they were famed because their singer was like a cool little new wavy punk chick that was like 15 or something and uh, on Mm -hmm. their follow-up album she was like naked on the cover she's like covering herself but she's naked and that was just like an outrage because it was like the sexualization Mm of of a teenager and that ended up ruining their career of the band that did i want candy that is a culture dump Mm -hmm. um but they're a great band check them out yeah yeah bow wow wow is good deserving so, of the praise given to them. I yeah. would say the chili peppers are good about they're good about uh they they talk about their influences a lot. Yes, they and do. They're, you know. Well, and so. you know what though? It's they get asked a lot of fucking questions too. <laughs> they're like, you know, again, they're one of the biggest bands in the world. They've done countless fucking interviews. But they then play their biggest, you know, upcoming hit off their newest album, Californication, and you can see fires popping up now in the horizon, like right. Almost like fireworks going off, but they're on the ground. And again, that's right. why you're not seeing trash being thrown everywhere like you did before. You're only seeing these beach balls and stuff. Because what we've heard from survivors, especially this, uh, we just got a really great survivor story sent to us the other day. He said that yeah, there was, you know, he was watching Chili Peppers, and it started with one guy making a small pile of pizza boxes and then lighting it. And then once that fire was going, everyone just started throwing their trash into the fires and they become bigger and bigger and bigger. So rather than mm-hmm. throwing them around, like we've been seeing the whole festival, now people are throwing all their trash in bottles they're, and they're adapting. Uh, yeah. They're adapting. The chaos is evolving. They're learning. Yeah. They're evolving. There, there is a, a really good, uh, camera moment where they like kind of time the, they like kind of edit, the fires into it like right when the song is kind of has like a dramatic moment is like right when the fires happen right so it's like i can tell the camera people are like starting to play with it which is also funny because it's like again who is totally aware of like the severity of what's happening it's like the camera people are just like well if there's a fire like we better film it you know as opposed to like maybe this is concerning you know right well no one's really thought of it yet because it's 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 still a new thing that's happening and also keep in mind the stages again are so far apart they're they're about a mile apart from each other so fires that are happening in the campsite and fires that are happening over towards the west stage people at the east stage had no idea these are things that are spawning 
independently of one another, like a plague, say, <laughs> or a virus spreading. Right. Uh, kind of interesting. <laughs> You know, all it takes yeah. is all it takes is one person that saw a fire in the campsite that wanted to start a fire there to go into the main stage area, start one. Now you're going to see other people seeing that it's monkey see, monkey do mob mentality. That's kind of been the whole theme of this of Woodstock '99 with all the bad stuff that happened. You know, it's like, oh, if I see this person doing it and no, no one stops them, then no one's going to stop me. And if you see three people doing something, then definitely no one's going to stop you. So it just grows and grows and grows until you have hundreds of thousands of people breaking laws and destroying property and committing assaults and doing all this other terrible shit Uh, but for now it's just a it's a nice little cinematic moment in the middle of this set right it just exactly yeah it's still it still is kind of holding some authentic woodstock vibes because a fire can it doesn't have to be a negative thing but of course it it ended up being a negative thing. Uh, the Peace Patrol, though, that are still up front, they're still using hoses on the people. They've severely altered their uniforms. Now you'll see guys with parts of their T-shirt tied up like bandanas or like armbands, even like Ultimate Warrior used to wear uh, in the WWF. Yeah. <laughs> and and like they're just really going for it. Um, during one of the songs, Anthony then like, he kind of has a flub and he explains to John uh, into the mic uh, how he messed it up. He's like, did you hear how I messed it up? Did you hear that? Did you hear I, I got the lyrics mixed up? And John's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was fine. <laughs> like, right. you know, it's just weird that he I was mean, doing it into the, I mean, I, obviously he was doing that so he could hear them, but like, I don't know. It, it just seemed like, well, I feel like he was almost doing it to like, I don't know. There's something strange about it where it's like, again, I think this is, like, these are the things that like when people talk shit about the band, like where it's just like he kind Anthony Kiedis kind of presents himself as like a little boy in a way just sort of like this like oh I didn't know like whoopsie doopsie and like I'm gonna you know and then but of course then the lyrics are like hyper sexualized and so it's like that weird thing where it's like I swear I didn't know anything but then like all the lyrics are like 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 what there's this one song they play where it's like a penthouse letter where it's just like really really dirty (laughs) lyrics the entire time I love Um, but yeah I I don't know penthouse letters But during that moment, uh, the the camera pans to the crowd and you see a girl holding up a sign that says, Anthony, you show me yours. I'll show you mine. And then it pans to the crowd because there's a topless girl getting crowd surfed who's just getting severely groped. I mean, that's it's it's a pretty gnarly one. Um, But then one of the, the. greatest Woodstock 99 moments happens. This is considered like to be a second break stuff moment, if you will. And it's when they play their song under the bridge. And it's uh, just one of those moments where it's kind of like the eye of the vortex, like you, like you, the eye of the storm, if you will, you know that this is where things are are starting. And you know, that they have, you know, again, Woodstock 99 has two. We talked about Limp Bizkit that that's always the, the big, the big deal. But the other one everyone talks about is Under the Bridge because during this song, this group called PAX, P-A-X, they're now known as the Center to Prevent Youth Violence. They were a co-sponsor of Woodstock 99, and they're a gun control group. Gun control issues, I mean, it's always been a hot-button issue, but in 99, it was especially uh, being talked about and, and being shown in the media because the Columbine shooting had happened in April, and that, of course, involved young people. Woodstock 99 was centered at young people, so why not get the discussion going on Ground Zero where all the young people are, are going? And so that's what they were there for, and they were passing out candles for free to anyone that stopped by their booth to be lit during this song. Now, it's 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 interesting because PAX, they you know have always been a you know, gun control group, but they've always centered their attention more at the entertainment industry so they've always had you know 
they've always been sponsoring concerts. They had a presence at all sorts of different music festivals. They would have, you know, cool spokespeople. And at the time of Woodstock 99, our evil mayor, our man in the tower, John Scher, the, 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 the co-promoter of Woodstock 99, he was actually on their board of advisors. Which is a Ooh, interesting l- little little fact there, but yeah, they were handing out candles to everyone. And they said when the Chili Peppers play under the bridge, everyone's going to light these candles, and it's going to be right. this, now, this memorial. Yeah. True, but one thing that's weird. Sorry to interject, but it's just that um, they don't. The band doesn't say anything about it. They don't say, "Hey, these candles are being passed out," and I don't know if that maybe just got cut out of the feed or something. But so I do. I am curious as to like how much like knowledge the ba- or like how much participation or coordination was involved with them being in it. That's just one of those things yeah, here I, at podcast I that we think yeah, about, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I've never heard of anything of them being involved or active in that at all. I think it was just something that was being spread word of mouth on the grounds. There might've mm-hmm. even been something attached to the candle saying that, that that was kind of the idea. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, of course, what you start seeing is now everyone, you know, all these thousands of people have something to light a fire with and they yes. do. And so that's why yeah. you start seeing all these fires pop up right at this moment. And it's, you know, they, any documentary, any VH1 coverage of, or looking back at Woodstock 99 thing that you see, they always mention the candles being handed out as the start of the fires. Right. Because, right. you know, if you didn't have a lighter or anything, but cause you can, you know, you can get a lot of fire now, started with a candle. It's, and it's not true because there are fires before, as we've noticed, with Megadeth. And then there's even... Because right. even the fires in this set, the big ones, they happened before under the bridge. But then this is like this extra like huge catalyst to it. Because yeah. it's probably also just in that mob mentality where I'm sure tons of people had lighters and had the ability. But when you actually are like, no one's thinking about it. But then when all of a sudden... Like the all I'm saying is the access to fire was already established. But once they hand out these candles, it probably literally like gave people the idea of just like, hey, why don't I do something stupid with this? You know? Yeah. Oh, definitely. So yeah, like and, well, and that's when you start too. seeing them pop up more and more. And that's when you start yeah. seeing things like delay towers going up and right. things like that. And, and you start seeing, you know, vendor tents going up. And this is all while Red Hot Chili Peppers is, is playing. So, yeah, like, but whenever it shows the shot from the stage looking out at the crowd, that's when you can see these. And they're getting really big. And and right. there's a bunch of them now. Yeah. But there's no sign of the, emergency services. There's no fire trucks mm-hmm. coming in yet. There's no, there's still no police uh, right. be, being seen over on the East stage. During Megadeth, we saw some police coming in. Um, again, whether or not that was just cut in, weird or not we we haven't seen them over towards the east stage yet no police mm-hmm. presidents no firefighters right. no ambulance right yeah um, i mean no I, I i love this moment i think it is probably the most woodstock moment. i mean obviously we've talked about break stuff but i think that there's something about this that has like a different quality to it because uh whereas break stuff is like a new metal song and it's really aggressive and it kind of like of course it's like yes like aggressive music aggressive behavior but to me, there's something watching it that's very haunting. And I've I've already used the word cinematic once, but I'll use it again because it's like that song under the bridge is like, I mean, it's essentially a ballad. Yeah. And I mean, it's and while it has like a very, you know, it's a it's about Anthony Kiedis's drug addiction and kind of overcoming it. So it has like a theme of redemption. But essentially the song, I mean, it's essentially like a a ballad about drug addiction. And so the song, especially for the Chili Peppers, it's 
it's a way quieter one and it's not like a new metal song it's not like some crazy rock song that all this is happening so like that addition to it like the, i guess the literal soundtrack of all these fires to me like it it just it it's is creepy, that song yeah because you know? there was no fires during break stuff there was people breaking stuff right you know? right and, and and there was and there was violence this is more of like no let's burn it down you know right the, the but just over like one of the most chill songs of like the whole set yeah you no, know? It, it's very eerie and yeah it is more cinematic because you like you wouldn't pick you know you might pick break stuff to be the song you know like if there was a movie made about woodstock 99 when everyone's rioting and actually tearing everything apart you might use break stuff for that but for the fires and and for just like a slow pan of of the music and just an over like for the trailer you're going to use under the bridge mm-hmm. you know and it's going right. to seem really eerie right. and you know it's right. almost like the summer camp thing like i talked about way at the start of the show where it's like you're in the car and you're excited to go to mm-hmm. summer camp and it's almost like the beginning of a horror movie where it's like this is going to be great and it's like you have mm-hmm. no idea but the viewer knows yeah. right <laughs> yeah. it's the, it's the aftermath song like you know at the horror movie like after the horrible thing has happened then you have to play the really calm like spooky song yeah to be like what the fuck happened we're at like even even a what if like say that because this song i mean it almost sounds like a song that could have been played at woodstock 69 it, it just has that element to it and like you could even imagine like literally the same thing happening at woodstock 69 but it being like immortalized as like right. oh like this was the this awesome thing when all the hippies did it and like it could have somehow been like this great thing somehow you know exactly well that that's the thing fires at woodstock 69 great thing fires at woodstock yeah. 99 terrible thing not so great and yeah right. and that, that's kind of the deal another thing though uh because the set's not over and and this right. is a great moment we've only seen a couple bands do this but flea again being the chill guy and like one of the coolest dudes in rock he you know has to say something about all the assaults that he's able to see from the stage you know there it's right. it's happening mm-hmm. so much now that flea takes a second and then of course you have the you know oversexed uh, lead singer anthony Kiedis having to kind of right this happens immediately after under the bridge so when you really take the start of under the bridge and then this quote we're about to play this is like a a loaded little five minutes of like really really important woodstock 99 stuff yeah well, let's hear that clip hey you know just because a girl out there wants to feel free and take her shirt off doesn't mean a bunch of you have to go grab her tits and stuff because they're her tits they're not yours got to leave those tips alone. Those tips are a girl's private property and they're a beautiful thing, so you got to respect them. Plus, if you weren't so grabby, they might all take their shirts off. <laughs> I can't even think of another one besides, uh, besides the offspring like that was that prominently, you know, right. that, like, like that obvious to the crowd like where they were like it wasn't like a passive joke or anything it was like hey Mm -hmm. stop that that sucks you know but then right after right after they say that the camera pans to the crowd and you see a girl get severely groped again right and let's and i want to hang on here for a sec because to me i think that this might and this might also say a lot about like like the perception of the chili peppers but essentially you have flea who's being incredibly eloquent he's probably saying He's addressing the issue in the best way that's been addressed. Because, I mean, Offspring still kind of did it in a semi-juvenile way of, like, you know, if, if you see, like, yeah, if you see a guy balls. grab his yeah. balls. And it kind of, like, underplays, undermines, like, the severity of it. 
And Flea is just like, he's literally saying like, that is her body and like, that's her choice. And he kind of like is even using language that now we're like so much more familiar with it. Like, this is like consent language. And he's just being like so direct. And then you immediately have Anthony Kiedis make like a bro joke about it and just be like, yeah, because, you know, you're like ruin it for everyone else. We the all want to see the of tits. man. And then on the video, you can see him like Chad Smith, the drummer, kind of do like a little badoonch thing, yeah. like kind of like they're like winking. And it's like at that moment, you're like, wow, like this is there's that like super bro hyper sexual masculine energy that like has always been like a huge deterrent for a lot of people of this band being like right. thrown out there. So it's like, there's Woodstock, you know, someone kind of makes some attempt of trying to sort of say something about the bad shits going on. And then it's immediately like, Nope, fuck that. Squash. Yep, Let's keep going. Right. Yeah. And, and then it goes on. And this is one of my favorite moments and it's such a short clip, but it's, it's one of my absolute favorite Woodstock 99 moments. And it's the moment when Anthony Kiedis looks out at, at the crowd. And this is right before their last song. I mean, and, and there's fires now everywhere. One of the delay towers is, is going up now. Uh, it it might've even been the one that we've always known as the Alamo. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure uh, of the placement, but in the back, yes, you can see one of the, the huge speaker towers being set on fire from the bottom. You can see them popping up over by the vendors tents. You can see them uh, in the middle of the crowd out to the side. Their fires are, are, are popping up everywhere now. And Anthony Kiedis famously says, Holy shit, it's uh, Apocalypse Now out there. Make way for the fire truck! Which is so accurate, and it's so yeah. haunting. But they still have one song left to play, and right before that, a fan jumps up on stage and kind of does like a funky like it's this, it's the dance everyone does if you sneak up on stage, like because you don't have time to actually think about what you're gonna do, and even if you did, the you'd be so surprised that you made it up there, and you wouldn't be able to pull it off. So you just like do this like funky, funky dude dance like until you get pulled right. off. It usually lasts yeah. about seven seconds, and then and then you're ripped off stage. But yeah, that happens, and like. I think Flea like kind of comes up to him and like kind of does like a little dance thing, and then <laughs> and then the security comes out and they take him away. But yeah, that one dance. I mean, we we've seen that several times throughout Woodstock '99. But yeah, if you get up on stage, you're just so shocked that you were able to do it that all right. you can manage to pull out is this weird funky dude dance, like the guy right. from uh, The Offspring, the the uh, pretty oh, yeah, fly it's for like, a white yeah, guy, but guy. Un unintentional. Yeah. yeah, I think maybe there's like a, a unspoken. Uh, plan where it's like the like a fan comes on stage the band they are like they have to like act cool about it but they've probably also told their security guards to remove people as quickly as possible so that way it's like the guards look like dicks and the right. band's kind of like oh this is totally cool like no don't go anywhere but really they're like yeah get them the fuck off stage and then they don't have to appear to be like you know, disgusted yeah. of <laughs> this their fan. Act. or they're like, okay, if a fan jumps on stage, here's the plan. Flea, you distract him with your dick and then we'll get right. security to get him from behind. You know, so flea <laughs> just kind of show like gives him the pocket sand, which is his penis and, uh, <laughs> you know, distracts him and while the security runs right. up there. But, and speaking then, of penis, their second to last song is the song, the penthouse letter song. I was talking about. It's called Sir Psycho Sexy. And um, I feel like in certain ways, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm so ambivalent, you know, in certain other episodes, I've definitely like given like, oh, I'm a big fan of this or like shit on it. And like this song, I will say just to add my own, like 
when I was in middle school or ever, and I heard this like eight minute long song of this rapping about like explicit sex, like yeah. to every middle schooler, you're just like, Oh God, like <laughs> I'm not supposed to be listening to this. Oh yeah. Um, that's like when I heard, uh, oh, I mean, there's a bunch of songs that, that happened, but the kid rock, kid rocks fucking devil without a cause album. When that came out and I got my hands on one, I was like, Holy shit. Same with Eminem. I mean, that shit right. terrify me. Right. So that's just like the, and that, and that's like the thing where like, if you love the band, you're like, this is so funny. And then if you hate it, like, this is why you everything you, you know, there's funk bass. I mean, we haven't even talked about the slapping, but as far I want to just like flee great bass player, but you know, he really slapped a lot. Yeah. And like, I feel like he also in certain ways did contribute to like when you, like some people just, when they think of the bass, they just think of it like being this awful slapping machine. Yeah. That just all you can do when you play the bass is just make it bang, 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 bang. Yeah. And like, I well, feel like Flea, Flea is kind of like responsible the, for that. I mean, Flea's also done some like, I mean, for instance, he does like a little bass solo on stage and it's more of like, like pinch harmonics and like some like Jaco Pastorius, like kind of like noodling and, and stuff. And like for really heavy bass heads, like they like Flea, not for the slapping, but for all the other stuff that he does, you know, there's like two sides, but yes, he is definitely known as the fucking funk master slap daddy of bass for sure. <laughs> yeah. Also, I'm coining that term, the funk master slap daddy. That's mine. <laughs> uh, so before they play their last song, they are asking each other audibly on stage, should we do it? Uh, we're going to hear that really quick. You want to do it? You want to do it? And the reason why they're doing that is because their last song was going to be their ultimate Woodstock tribute. They had learned this song for Woodstock. They had even discussed this with the uh, person who originally wrote and performed its family. And then they had gotten the, the go ahead. Yes, it'd be really cool if you did it. They're going to play Fire by Jimi Hendrix. Right. And though they didn't they didn't learn it for Woodstock. They, it no, actually, they had played it before. Reading, yeah. yeah, they had played it, but they were, hadn't played it like it hadn't been the set for years, so they wanted to revive it. Oh, okay. You know, right, right. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah so, so it's, it's been, yeah, it's been pulled back out. The dust has been blown off for, for Woodstock 99, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. because it's Woodstock, and as we all know, Jimi Hendrix is the icon of Woodstock in general. And he closed the festival, and now they're, I mean, in so many words, closing the festival. At least the last band to perform, you know? Right. Yes, no, I- I- exactly. But because there's lots and lots of fires starting now and it's getting to be pretty hairy out there. Like, I mean, even to a band on stage, cause you know, it's, I mean, it's hard to know how, like how much of the things that some of the bands say about Woodstock are, you know, genuine and not like when Fred Durst or, or anyone says, Oh, well, I mean, from the stage, it didn't look like anyone was having a bad time. I mean, who, who's to say if that's a hundred percent true or if there was moments of looking and be like, Holy shit, that's gnarly. But I mean, red hot chili peppers definitely were fucking aware, but also it's nighttime and it's fire. So it's a lot easier to see, you know, a fire in a crowd at night than it is to see people getting, you know, their faces smashed and being assaulted in a sea of people in the daytime. So right. there's that, but yeah, but they're visibly shook. Like, should we do it? Should we do it? And like, I love the way fleas, like, like how it's all fast. And should we do it? Should we do it? Like, I love that. And then they're just like, yeah, just do right. it. And then they play the song so fucking fast 
too. Yeah. Like it's a really fast version of the song, but everyone starts going fucking crazy. It becomes tribal in the crowd. It really sets it off. It's the last fucking. This is the last song. It's a party pit. Yeah. yeah. This is the last I mean, song. It's, of pre- it's a pretty great cover. It's a pretty great cover. No, yeah, um, definitely. And, I, it, and how timely. And I think yeah, and that's a very red hot chili peppers thing to see a bunch of fires and then be like, should we play a song called Fire? And like, yeah, let's do it. And like, I feel like that's like, I feel like that has like informed a lot of their decisions throughout their career. It's just like, oopsie daisy, we should just do it. And yeah. And, but I mean, also it's like, I love just the apprehension. Like, even if it's like kind of like, like goofy or or not, or excited or wild eyed, because it's like when we heard Metallica's interview and they asked Mm -hmm. him like, Oh, well, you know, Limp Bizkit's fans are breaking everything apart and you hear about all the big mosh pits and like are you guys worried about the fans doing that or how do you guys handle an unruly crowd and they're like yeah well we're not gonna probably you know egg them on too much from the right, stage right. we're just gonna go out there and, and and play and not try and get them more riled up than we need to and it's like yeah. you know if you're a band at a certain level then yeah you know that you could turn the crowd at at any moment you know, it's like maybe they're just like, we'll, we'll play it really fast. And so maybe, you know, it'll only be a minute long. Right. So yeah, we'll just, exactly. Yeah, we'll, we'll just play it faster. It. A song that gets everyone pumped, we'll play it faster. <laughs> yeah. That'll be better. But no, it's like, yeah. you know, because for instance, when Guns N' Roses, like uh, the, the famous thing where, where they played a concert and someone was filming. So Axl Rose jumped down in the crowd to take the camera away and they, they just stopped playing and they walked out, started a riot. So, I mean, bands yeah. really can turn thousands and thousands of people on a dime. Yes. And so they, they were probably, you know, aware of it. And it just come because of they're just kind of goofy guys. It comes off like, oh, shit. But they were probably like, is this a good idea? Like, are we going to get in trouble or right. blamed for this? Because right. we will. Right, right, and right. they were. I mean, they were. If you look up news things, people. People yeah. were like, yeah, why did they play fire? Like, didn't they think that was a mm-hmm. stupid idea? Or it's like only because they played fire did this happen. But they play of course, it. And they, then, did, they got they got legitimate blame in the, the print after. Right. Um, yeah. Not nearly as bad as like the Limp Biscuit blame, but they, you know, they got some. Right. Well, sure. Limp Biscuit was so. more blamed for for sexual assaults and 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 destruction and, and kind of just like unruly kind of like violence in, in the crowd. Whereas chili peppers were blamed for fire, you know, cause right. there was no fire during Limp Bizkit there, but it's, you know, people were making the connection. Well, it all starts with Limp Bizkit and it kind of trickles down mm-hmm. until red hot chili peppers. So, you yeah. know, you have the two yeah, bookends, yeah. But right after they play fire, I mean, as quickly as they play through the song, that's as quick as they leave the stage. I mean, Chad Smith just gets up, walks away. Kiedis is gone. Prashante has gone. Flea literally just drops his bass and drags it for a second. You hear it like yeah. hit the ground. <laughs> dong, and he walks right. off the stage butt naked like a wet toddler. And, and that's <laughs> it. And it's almost like they're fleeing the stage. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah they I, get the fuck I out wonder- of there. Yeah, because I wonder what kind of conversation was being had, like what officials were there and just like, okay, this because at this point, it's a situation. The fires are big. And I mean, you couldn't have asked for better timing because it's just like the band's ending. And I mean, I mean, probably that was like a mentality, too, is like this is whereas like doing a fire on the first day would just kind of like really things up to like chaos. But it's more like. I feel like it's more like, well, the festival's over, but like, are you going to make me leave? Because like, maybe I'm just going to stay here and light a bunch of shit on fire. And so like that transition, that timing is really, really ideal for the kind of shit show that's about to go down. 
Yes. No, yeah. It's uh, Well, and uh, I mean, it makes you wonder about the crowd. Like, were they that unruly or was there like, and then after Chili Peppers are done, we're going to burn this fucking place down. You know what I mean? Because, yeah, like, why, right. you know, why shit where you eat? I mean, they obviously shat everywhere at that <laughs> festival. But it's like, OK, yeah, we want to get our fucking money's worth and we want to get back at this festival that we all feel we've been robbed by. But mm-hmm. after the Chili Peppers, <laughs> you know, right. Yep. It's like, it's like, That's, we'll get vengeance. Yeah. After the Chili Peppers, you know, (laughs) I I, got to hear that song, you know, they were a big band. I mean, they were a a legitimate draw. Yes. That would make you want to stay till the end. So, right. And, you know, so that's the final band to play at at the festival proper. And right after they're done, John Cher comes out. And that's where we're going to start the episode next time. But before we finish this one, I have a little bit more information about the rave because obviously there is no emerging artist that that's that stage is done. West stage is done. There's, there's the only thing left on the East stage was supposed to be a Jimi Hendrix tribute. But I mean, if you haven't gathered by now with everything that we've just been talking about, that didn't really go as planned. Happen. But mm. the rave was supposed to be headlined that night by Perry Farrell, who of course opened the festival every day with his activist group Spitfire uh, Perry Farrell mm-hmm. of course the singer of Jane's Addiction as you know the ex Red Hot Chili Peppers guitarist Dave Navarro was the guitarist of Jane's Addiction little connection there um, and yeah he was supposed to perform at the rave on Sunday but due to concerns with the condition of the situation he backed out and the rave was cancelled um, but I also found some you know more trivial information besides Moby Fatboy Slim Sandra Collins uh, we also learned that Dave Ralph Lenny D Liquid Todd Gonzo and Hard Knocks were also all uh, booked to perform at the rave and these guys oh are gosh. playing our I mean th- their sets last for hours Sandra Collins mm-hmm. played for like five hours you know so yeah. that, that's why there's only a couple acts on this on this stage that's lasting three days because they would play all night just themselves or two people a night or something along those lines um, and the the rave tent would eventually be known as the sixth element that's what that stage was called it wasn't like the rave tent or emerging artist mm. after dark it was called the sixth element element and Ooh. that was a name chosen by Tim Donnelly of Silver Worldwide Entertainment and they were the promoters of the Rave Hanger. It was promoted independently from the festival uh, by Silver Worldwide Entertainment that threw lots and lots of big big raves which of course you know electronic music and raves are really coming into its its mainstream shape uh, its final form is definitely has been reached by by now you know with the the rise of EDM <laughs> festivals but this right. is where you start seeing it done in a really professional capacity not just like on a farm somewhere where you have to call a number to get the address and there's like charter buses and stuff right. this was going to make it legit so with that being said that's the final act of of Woodstock 99 that's that's the 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 last legends band uh that's the last that's bit of info i could suck out of of the rave you know um, but yeah, we, we want to thank all you Patreon subscribers. You've been helping us through this trying time. I hope all you guys are staying inside and staying safe in sharing our show with all of your friends. It's the best gift you can give to someone that has nowhere to go. Just have them listen to us talk about Woodstock all day. And we got a lot of, we got a lot of content. So yeah, you, start back and at the yeah, beginning, we- you can occupy quite a lot of time. 
Yeah, and we're going to have some other stuff coming out on Patreon soon. We're going to do a thing about the first Family Values Tour. Uh, Watt Stacks uh, is another one that we're going to be doing. And eventually we will be teasing uh, episodes of our upcoming show, Culture Dumps. But yes, thank you guys. We want to give a shout out to our listener, Gary. Thank you so much for for the support. And we will be doing your episode for you uh, once the time comes. That is much appreciated. Thank you, Gary. Yeah, next next episode, folks, is our coverage of the riot. So get excited. We're we're reaching the end here. Thank you for hanging in there for all these episodes. It's really crazy that we finally got to the very last band. We've yeah. we've covered every act of Woodstock '99. We need some champagne. Well, we should wait till this whole till it's all the way done. But yeah, it's a milestone for sure. So now just get ready for hard history. Yeah, just the facts. Yeah, yeah, just the facts. Yeah, no, yeah. P- pretty much, it's not. Yeah, the next uh, episode or two, there's going to be very little opinions, and it's it's going to be go back to the uh, the early days of Podcast Ninety Nine, where it's just straight hard evidence. But yeah, yeah thank you guys so much. And uh, if you went to, worked at, or played at Woodstock Ninety Nine, please contact us at Podcast Ninety Nine Official at Gmail dot com or on Instagram at Podcast Ninety Nine. On our Instagram is also where you can catch updates when we post things to patreon also we've been going live a little bit and doing some set commentaries i might be showing off some of our woodstock 99 artifacts so give us a follow and check that out and uh we will see you at woodstock